Welcome to the Crux Podcast and Sermon of the Week. For more information about the Crux Ministries and Summit Church, please visit us at summitsanmarcos.com. Um, well, we're just going to continue into that tonight, and uh, since we, uh, in light of Valentine's Day was on Tuesday, so we're going to kind of talk a little bit about relationships and identity and Jesus and how that all kind of comes together, but um, I'm going to pray because you can never pray too much. Um, Jesus, I just thank you so much for the word that you have tonight, God. I thank you, Lord, that you just have a um, just something special in store tonight. And God, I ask that you would just let what you want conveyed, God, your heart for your people to come through tonight. God, we just give you the glory and we say, come and have your way, God. Whatever it is you want to say and do and move, God, we're not here without you. These, these are my words, God. These are yours. And I just thank you that you're orchestrating uh, just this heart and this message tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Cool. Well, before I kind of jump into it, one thing I just felt like, because we are, we're talking about kind of, the, the title of the tonight is, as I called it, is like, I, I am, oh my gosh, I don't even remember what I called it. Here we go. I call you my beloved. And I just, when I asked God, I said, God, what is, what, what are we calling this? Because I didn't know I had, we're talking about being the bride of Christ. And I was like, okay, you could just call it bride of Christ. What are we going to call it? And I felt like God said, I call you my beloved. Because the thing is, is what, what God wants to teach us tonight, well, God wants us to give us a fresh revelation of who he is and how much he loves us. Because we cannot do anything in our life, we cannot be anybody, we cannot pursue anything unless we know how loved we are. Yeah. And we cannot be in a healthy relationship unless we know how loved we are by God and we're satisfied by God. Amen. And I just felt like tonight, wherever you're at, wherever you're feeling, whatever your week has been like, I want to encourage you to know that God sees and meets you where you're at. And whether that was an awesome Valentine's Day, whether you are super comfortable being by yourself, whether you are like in need, you're, you're sad and alone, whatever, whatever that looks like, God is meeting you right where you're at. And I feel like when he wants to woo you tonight. He wants to woo your heart. He wants to remind you that he is madly and deeply in love with you. The Bible said that he understood the deepest grief. So that means that he knows everything that we've been through. And he wants to meet us tonight. And, and, and the underlying key, I kind of said it already, is that you are never going to be fully satisfied and let you let Jesus be the one that fully satisfies you. That's good. Come on. You cannot be fully satisfied unless you have him. And in order to have a healthy relationship, in order to have a healthy work life, in order to have a healthy relationship with your parents, with ministry, with your significant other, you have to let Christ be your everything. And you cannot be anything to anybody else unless Christ is your everything. Because it supplements it. And we were not designed to have somebody else supplement it. We were not designed to have somebody else meet our needs because they're never going to fully satisfy you. And we are also never going to be able to meet somebody else's needs. And every single time you try, it's going to fail. And it's not that we're set up to fail, so we're set up to let God be our everything. So automatically, when we choose anything but him, we set ourselves up to fail. And when when we let anybody else make us first, we said they are setting us up to fail because you can't. We're not perfect. We are a flawed people. 
and that's okay. But the thing is, is what's great about that is that we can let Jesus make us whole and complete. And so when somebody makes a mistake, it's okay. We can keep moving forward because that doesn't change who we are. I can have a healthy relationship with Dominic because I know that he's, if he makes a mistake, it's okay because he's not what completes me. God completes me. We can't, you cannot function in a relationship or in a marriage unless you let God be your focus and God is the one that completes you. It's not, relationships are not meant to be like, Oh, they complete me. Like, I know that's a whole thing. And, and you know, whatever. That's great. Like, okay, cool. But the thing is, is no, God completes you. And a relationship just enhances your life. It makes it better. They're your partner. They're your helper. They're not the solution. And tonight, God wants to remind you that he is the solution. He is the answer to every prayer. He's the solution to every single problem. And the thing is, is we... And when we let God fulfill our dreams and our desires in our heart, we don't have to worry about what kind of relationship status changes on Facebook. You can change that with the click of a button, but you're never going to change your relationship with God with the click of a button. He does not change. He is constant. He has selected and called us from day one. I'm sorry. We're recording and it's okay. It's a Crux podcast, so you're good. You Cruxcast, everybody. A little plug. Cruxcast. Listen to it. We put the, the message up every week. So if you talk too fast like me, or if whoever talk, whatever, you can't take notes fast enough because I talk too fast. It's all good. So here's the thing. God has been in hot pursuit of you from the beginning. From before you were even born. He has chased after you. And our identity rests in that. That is like so great to think. You know what, God, you know, our whole lives we go, I want someone to love me and I want someone to care for me and I want to be their number one. Well, guess what? You have been God's number one from day one. So we don't have to go looking for any of that because it's already there. So you just have to turn and go, oh my gosh, I've been God's number one my entire life. I don't need to look for anything else because when it's time and I'm ready, God's going to bring somebody for me. Mm. So... I feel like tonight God wants to give us a fresh, fresh revelation of what it means to be chosen by him. What it means to be the bride of Christ. And for guys, you're probably like, I am not a bride. I don't I'm wear a, a white dress. I'm a bride. Okay, so maybe with the exception of our church, <laughs> generally guys don't like to be called a bride. But here's the thing. Every, <laughs> every single one of us has a desire to be significant, right? We all have a desire to be significant, to be on top, to be number one, to be felt like we are set apart and to be special. And that is something that we can all relate to. So whether you call it the bride or whether you're calling yourself the MVP, it doesn't matter. It's the same concept. (laughs) The MVP. So, So how do we know that God is in pursuit after us? How do we know that he has been relentlessly pursuing us? And one of the best examples of, the, of, of constant pursuit that I find is, is the Israelites. Is God's relationship yeah. is an example. His relationship with the Israelites is a great example. And that's kind of, if you're taking notes, point number one. God's relationship with Israel is an example of God's pursuit after us. Israel has, was like the most flippity, floppity fish there ever was. One day they were over here and they're like, God, you're great. The next day they're over here worshiping a cow. And then one day they're slaves and one day they're free. And the next day they enslave themselves. And one day, oh, I mean, I don't know. I can't keep track of the amount of times that Israel changes their mind. Okay. And the thing is, is that, and throughout the Old Testament, God is like, 
Come on. I have sent you clouds and fire and manna and quail. I have freed you. I have multiplied you. I have fulfilled every promise, and you still can't figure out that I love you. Like, they are constantly back and forth. And how many of us are just going to say that that's us? I will right here say that that is me. Throughout my entire life, I have been back and forth with the Lord and been like, okay, God, you're great. But you know what? I think this is going to be great over here. And God's like, no, let's come back over this way. I'm still number one. And he's just, he's in, he's in hot pursuit. God is in constant hot pursuit of us. He does not, and that has not changed. And he sent after them opportunity after opportunity after Israel. And we have opportunity after opportunity to get to know the heart of God better. And get to know the heart of Jesus. And one of the best examples of that, I just have a couple different verses that the Lord, or sections of verses that God's highlighted that just shows his pursuit after us. And this is kind of something we've already talked about and that Taylor touched on is in Hosea's 2, 14, 23. Or touched on, he did a whole message on it. But, um, so, but then I says, so um, I'm in uh, New Living. It says, but then I will win her back once again. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her there. I will return her vineyards to her and transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. She will give herself to me there as she did long ago when she was young and when I freed her from captivity in Egypt. When that day comes, says the Lord, you will call me my husband instead of my master. Israel will wipe away many names of Baal from your lips. I will wipe away many names of Baal from your lips and you will never mention them again. On that day, I will make a covenant with all the wild animals and the birds of the sky and the animals that scurry along the ground so they will not harm you. I will remove all weapons of war from the land, all swords and bows, so you can live unafraid in peace and safety. I will make you my wife forever, showing you righteousness and justice, unfailing love and compassion. I will be faithful to you and make you mine, and you will finally know me as the Lord. In that day I will answer, says the Lord. I will answer the sky as it pleads for clouds, and the sky will answer the earth with rain. Then the earth will answer the thirsty cries of the grain and grapevines and the olive trees, and they will turn and answer Jezreel, which is God's pl- God plants. Wow. At that time I will plant a crop of Israelites and raise them for myself. I will show love to those I called not loved, and to those I called love, not my people. And to those I called not my people, I will say, "You now, you are my people," and they will reply back to me, "You are God." I don't know about you, but that is like the most romantic thing that the Lord could say like as I was reading this I just was I just could almost just like you can if you close your eyes and you listen to what God's saying you can feel like his love and his heartbeat for them like it is so immense this love that he has and I think that we are so great at looking at God as as a fatherly love and it's that's who he is but sometimes we forget that God is romantically in love with us too. And, and I don't mean that's not in a weird thing. That the thing is, is God loves you. He calls you his beloved. Yeah. He says that you are his and you're chosen by him. He sacrifices life for you. You don't just do that without being madly in love with somebody. Yeah. You, and he didn't just do it for like one or a small group of the people that he lived with. He did it for all of us. And the thing is, is it, it, he like didn't even know half the people, right? He did it for everybody or even more than half the people. You know, he did, his, his, his disciples were there with him. But wow. at that time, Jesus, like, knew what God told him. And he said, this is for all of you, for all of my kids to come. Like, what an amazing love that is. You don't just pursue somebody unless you love them like crazy. 
Isaiah 62, 1 through 5. Because I love Zion, I will, keep, I will not keep still. Because my heart yearns for Jerusalem, I cannot remain silent. And I'm sorry, I'll pause this here. for This is, uh, Israel is, is praying. So I should, I missed this, and I'm sorry, I'm going to backtrack here quick, for a quick second. So Isaiah is praying for Israel here. And, and, the, and Israel has turned, and he is praying, and he has a word from God, and he's praying this out over Israel, and he's talking about the change that's coming for them and who, how they are going to go from, from where they're at into the glory that God has for them. So now knowing that, let's start again, because I gave bad context there. So it says, because I love Zion, so this is Isaiah praying, I will not keep still, because my heart yearns for Jerusalem, I cannot remain silent. I will not stop praying for her until her righteousness shines like the dawn and her salvation burns like a brining burning torch blazes like a burning torch the nations will see your righteousness world leaders will be blinded by your glory and you will be given a new name by the lord's own mouth the lord will hold you in his hand for all to see a splendid crown in the hand of god never again will you be called the forsaken city or the desolate land your new name will be the city of god's delight and the bride of god for the lord delights in you and will claim you as his bride your children will commit themselves to you, O Jerusalem, just as the young man commits himself to his bride. Then God will rejoice over you as the bridegroom rejoices over his bride. This is a promise for us. It's a promise for us. Guys, this is us. He's talking about us. He's talking, when he talks about Israel, he's talking about Jerusalem. He's talking about the people of God. And he's saying that I have been praying because I have seen that I have, God is going to take you into a salvation that burns like a, like a blazing torch that the nations will see your righteousness and that you will go from being called desolate and forsaken into the bride of Christ, the bride of God. That is the promise for us. He is in hot pursuit after us because he wants to make us his perfect and promised bride. Come on. That is what we are called to be. It says that the bridegroom rejoices over his bride and Jesus is our bridegroom. And there's proof of that in scripture and we're going to kind of go over that, but... Can everyone just close your eyes for a second? I just want you to close your eyes and open up your hands. And I just want you to ask God, before we really just continue to dive in, I just feel like God, I want you to ask God, God, will you transform the way I see myself? Yeah, and just, and just between you and the Lord, I want you to ask him, God, where, how do I need to shift my perspective? How do I need to, to see myself as a bride? How do I need to see myself as the MVP? How do I see myself as your number one? Because all of us, wherever we're at, whether this is something we already know, something that this is brand new, or maybe we're returning to this idea again, we all have an opportunity where we can see ourselves as God's number one, as God's promised and chosen bride. So I just want to pause for a second because I just feel like I want us to see, to begin to see ourselves in a new way. And as we read through scripture and we talk about what it means to be the bride of Christ and Jesus as our bridegroom. This is an opportunity for us to actually see ourselves that way. I don't want us to just leave at this being like, oh, that was a cool message that resonated. No, this is an opportunity for us to have a change in the way we see ourselves. We're doing a series on identity and here's an opportunity for us to have our identity radically shifted by seeing ourselves as a promised bride of Christ and that all of our needs are met in him. So we're going to take like 10 seconds. Thank you. Thank you. Shift our perspectives. Let us.
see ourselves the way you see yourself. Let us be moved by your majesty. And we just thank you, God. We thank you that you're wooing us, Jesus. And there's a few different things in Scripture where, where Jesus is, it talks about Jesus as the bridegroom and describing us as, and his children as the bride. And, um, thank you, Jesus. This is verse in Revelation 19, 6 through 8. It says, Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. That's us. She, is given, she has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And in Revelation, it talks about a wedding feast. It talks about this this glorious <clears throat> feast that we get to celebrate because we're in heaven and we're reunited and his bride has been reunited with him. And I know that we all know what weddings are like. We've all been to a wedding. We've all seen pictures of weddings and, and, and we're getting ready to get married here in like 198 days. I count down. And part of that process is counting anything. Part of that process is selecting your wedding dress, right? And, and, and you know, and traditionally you wear, right? It represents purity. It represents... Um, all of that, and, and so in this in this process, there's a lot of pressure, and, and <clears throat> you know, and everyone tells you about their experience and all this stuff, and so I went in like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm gonna do, and it's emotional, and it's there's there's pressure, and 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 when I came down, I came down to two different choices: the choice that was my number one favorite, and the choice that was my family's favorite. And my mom's like, let's give it a week, let's set it up, sit on it, and then we're gonna go back with your dad. And I was so determined to wear the first one because I liked it; it was kind of what I'd always thought, and. We were in worship the other, um, a couple weeks ago, or whatever, how long ago it was in Crux, and I was worshiping, the Lord was just ministering to me about um, just the changes coming and becoming a wife and what that looks like, and me just being like, God, I don't know if I'm ready, and God, help me to get there and teach me what I need to learn, and um, and God's just ministering to me, and I hear him say, I want you to pick the second dress, and I was like, but that's not, that wasn't my favorite, you know, and this is what I thought I saw myself in, but this is, and you know, this is pretty, and God's like, no, I want you to pick that one. And I was like, God, why? Like, like, why do you care? Like, not that it matters, but like, like, I mean, it's my wedding dress. I get that. But like, does it, why do you have a preference? And, and I just, um, the Lord said to me, he's like, you might be Dominic's bride now, but I, you have been my bride your whole life. And I was like, what? <laughs> and God was like, you, you, I have, that you have been my bride your whole life from the day that you were born. Like, you are my bride and for your entire life. Like, you are my bride and I love you and I sacrificed my life for you. So, like, of course I care about something like that. Like, this doesn't just represent you getting married. This represents everything that I am to you. This represents who you are. This represents what I did for you. And this is an example. Like, marriage is meant to be an example of what Christ and the church look like. He's like, and this is an opportunity for you to minister, for you guys to minister who God is and who I am and what that means means and God's like of course I care of course I want you dressed in the best thing I want for you because I want people to, I want to show you off because I love you more than anything and it wrecked me and I just remember like what the heck and we got there and I like and I put it on to try it on for my dad game which was really special and I tried it on and the first thing I heard God say is like that's my girl like this is how I've always seen you 
Like you didn't have to get cleaned up for me to look at you this way, but this is how I have always seen you. And that's the point of bride on her wedding day. She gets stressed up because she wants to look the best that she can for the person she's waited her whole life for. And the thing is, is that from day one, no matter how we mess up and no matter what we've done, God sees us as that perfect and promised bride. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to change who you are. You don't have to get dressed up because God already sees you as perfect. You just have to accept and know his son. And this is like crazy and like it's wrecking me all over again. But guys, like you don't have to go anywhere to find the satisfaction. You don't. He's been right in front of you the entire time. And it's, and like, don't get me wrong, like, it's special. Like, getting married is special. But the thing is, is like, God has been, I have been promised to God my whole life. And, and, and this is significant, and this is a really big deal. But at the end of the day, God is still a bigger deal. So if your wedding cake doesn't turn out how it's supposed to be, or nobody shows up, or like, it's a bust, or whatever, like, it doesn't matter. Like, I'm just throwing things down. I know y'all are going to come, okay? But I'm just saying, like, at the end of the day, like, the important thing is Jesus. Okay, whatever, bad timing for a joke. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, those things are small in, in, in the grand scheme of who God is for us. In the, in the grand scheme of that, and that's something that we've talked a lot about in this process, is that God is glorified. That, that our wedding is, in, yes, it's about what God is going to do for us, but it's, and like, we're excited to share this, but we're like, dude, this is a representation of Christ in the church, so our family's going to get saved. Like, our people are going to know that God is, like, the reason for this. We're going to preach the gospel, and this is an opportunity for people to get saved, because that is also what we're supposed to be. And as we're this bride that's pure and redeemed and loved, but our relationship with God and marriage on earth, that's supposed to be a mirror, right? So we are supposed to be a reflection. So this is our opportunity that our job as the bride of Christ yeah. is to know that we're loved, to know that we're pure, to know that we're fully accepted, but also to let everybody else know that they're in the same boat, that God uh, sees them as so loved and, affection, and, and full of affection for them. In so John, um, John was, um, in John 3, John is uh, the John the Baptist was baptizing people, and um, his <clears throat> disciples had come out because uh, Jesus was baptizing people on the other side, and they were like, "Well, people are going to Jesus instead of you. Like, what the heck?" And and John's disciple came to him and said, "Rabbi, the man who who met who the the man you met on the other side of the Jordan, the one that you identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing people, and everybody is going to him instead of coming to us." John replied, no one can receive anything unless God gives it to them. You yourselves know how plainly I told you I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride. The best man is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater so that I must become less and less. And Jesus, this is just an example of talking about Jesus being our bridegroom. And in Matthew 25, 1 through 13, is the, is the picture of the, of the ten virgins. And five gathered oil and five didn't. And they fell asleep. And the bridegroom came. And five of them were ready and five of them weren't. And, and at the end of it, Jesus, and they said that, well, you, like, you missed out because you weren't ready for the bridegroom. And they went to go get their oil. And, and he came. And, and they didn't get to go inside into the party. <clears throat> and Jesus says, like, you must be ready when I come. And this is another example of him pointing to himself as the bridegroom for us. He's been promised to us. The thing is, is when we, when we realize that we're already been promised to somebody, you don't go looking for it anywhere else. If 
part of a part of being a bride, part of being in in a relationship is you don't go looking for anything anywhere else because you're committed to somebody. And and that's what it's like when you're in a relationship with Jesus is he fulfills all of your needs. John 4, 14, he says, but those who drink of the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And relationships are awesome. They're important. And that's not, this isn't saying that. This is saying that we need to have him first. He needs to fulfill us first. We need to be fully satisfied and drink of all the water Jesus has so that we can, so that we can be good so that we can be healthy, so that we can walk forward in, in what we're supposed to do and who we're supposed to be, and we can find the person that God wants us to marry, and we're okay because someday, you know, I'm going to hurt him and he's going to hurt me, but we're okay because Jesus is our focus. Jesus is the center. And that doesn't mean that we're perfect. That doesn't mean that it's not hard. That doesn't mean that choosing Jesus first isn't hard. And I get that. When I, <clears throat> many years ago, um, I had just walked out of, some bad relationships, and I said, okay, God, never again. God, I'm going to wait until you have the person you have for me, and that started me on an over seven-year process until we started dating, and that was like, okay, you're like seven years, I've been single my whole life, like, I've never, you know, whatever, I don't, it's hard, and it's, and I get that, like, I get that it's hard to make Jesus first, and that's okay, because, because he doesn't promise that it's going to be easy, he just promises he's going to be there the whole time. He promises he's never going to leave your side. He promises that, that he's going to be with you to grow you and to teach you and to show you how. But let me tell you that it's worth <clears throat> letting Jesus satisfy your everything. Yes. It's worth it. Because there's going to be moments in life where you are going to feel alone. You're going to feel like you don't have anybody else to turn to. And if you haven't practiced going to God, you're really going to feel alone. Wow. Because he's there. And he doesn't leave you, but unless you've become accustomed to going to that place with him and saying, God, before I go to anybody else, I need you to tell me how to handle this situation. God, I don't know what to do. So before I approach this person, what am I supposed to do? We, it's, it's a habit. And even if you don't feel it, you believe it. And even if you don't understand it, you believe it and you declare it. I cannot tell you how many times I have been driving and just declaring out, God, you are more than enough for me. God, you are my number one. I will not settle for less than what you have for me. God, you are more than enough. God, you satisfy every thirst that I have. God, you are my number one person that I go to in every situation. And I've literally, and I've shared this, this story before, but I've literally had a season where I would call people when I was going through something and nobody would answer. And I would go through my list and call and no one would answer. And God was like, hello, I'm right here. Why aren't you talking to me? I'm not even kidding you. Like time and time and time again, like really big things that I was struggling. And God was like, nope, me first. So then when, so, and I had become accustomed to that. And over the years, and then when a real tragedy hit my life where my whole life got shook, the first place I ran to was Jesus. Because in the small things I had learned, so in the big thing that mattered, I was like, okay, Jesus, what do you say here? It's good, yeah. Or even in like, and I know I keep referencing this, or even in the in the big decision, like, do I want to marry him? Like, the first thing I did was, okay, God, like, is this right? Like, is this okay to say yes? And like, and I don't mean that in a bad way. He knows, he's confident, it doesn't matter. But like, you know what I mean? Like, we have to become so accustomed to hearing God's voice that when we have big decisions we need to make, we need to know what he's saying to us. We need to be accustomed to that. And like my sister, I remember her saying, like, how did you know? And I'm like, because I asked God. Because I've become accustomed over the years to saying, God, God, where? And I've heard no enough times that I knew when the door was yes. And when you go enough and when you trust God enough to let his no be no and say, okay, God, I'm not going to go knock on that door. 
I'm not going to go to this job. I'm not going to go here. I'm not going to hang out with these friends. I'm not going to date this person I'm not supposed yes. to. And you're like, oh, why is every door no? That's because you're hearing God enough to know that when the right door is yes. Yeah, and it's okay. No is not a bad thing. No means that God is protecting you. No means that God is saving the right situation, the right circumstance, the right environment for you to come into. And we don't necessarily know why. And that's okay. And it doesn't mean that, like, you don't have to ask God. It's okay to ask God why. It's okay to ask God when. Like, don't, don't stop asking. Don't stop pursuing that. But when he says no or when he says yes, trust him. Yeah. And trust your relationship with him. When you build that history, you don't have to sit there five times and be like, God, is it yes? Yes. God, is it yes? Yes. God, is it yes? Yes. Like, you know, like, it's okay. I've done the Gideon thing so many times. God, if you say yes, make this happen over here. Okay. Okay. Make this don't happen over here. Like, it's okay. We, it's okay. But when you, you get enough to where you hear the voice of God, you know when his yes is yes. So that when the time came for me to say yes, I didn't have to question because God had told me yes long before I had to actually say yes. That's so important. And that's that way in anything that you do. Whether it's a dream, whether it's a relationship, because we let God satisfy us. So the other part of that is when God says no, that doesn't mean that we're any less of a value. That doesn't mean that if somebody says no to you, you're not of a less of anything or any person. It's okay to have somebody say no to you. It's okay to say no to somebody else because God is enough. Because God meets every need that you have. I have this verse in Ephesians that I want to just read real quick, and then we're going to head into a time of ministry. And the Lord showed me, and it's just, and I just felt like he wanted to remind us of just what he's done. And So Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, it says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and many sins, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. So God can point us in all future ages as an example of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for those who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. And he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he has planned for us long ago. That's a promise for us, guys. We've all in a place of feeling broken we've all done things we wish we hadn't we, it, it's, it happens, we've all sinned but the thing is, is we don't have to live we don't, in that way we don't have to worry about paying a price for our sin because Jesus did it for us this entire book is a promise from God wow. about for our salvation for our life this is, this is a guidebook, this is the love letters from Jesus, everything that you need to know about your life is all in here and the word promises us everything that we need to know about how to make God our number one. And that was like a random thing, but I just felt like that was supposed to remind us that. That when you want to know what you're supposed to do or how we're supposed to live or what's supposed to come next or what does God say, we got to go back to his word. 
Do you feel like you can't hear God or you're not sure about what God's saying? Well, guess what? He's got a whole list of answers in here for you. It's so good. And you know what? It helps you bring you closer to him. Oh, God, I'm not feeling intimate with you. God, I'm feeling distant. Well, get in his word. He's going to connect you with him even more. You know, God, I want to hear your voice. I want to, I don't feel like I can hear you like other people do. Well, you know what? The best way to get to know his voice is by reading his word and reading his voice and becoming intimate with it where you know it and seeing in a place where you're like, oh, where is this? Oh, and then you find it and you feel so accomplished. This happened in pre-service prayer. We found a, like, Yara was like, oh, I think, I think it's this verse. And probably the Lord told her, but probably because she's knowing her word. And then all of a sudden we found it. We're all like, yeah, you found it. Like, and he's like, can spout off verses like David Knox can. Like, it's an, you know, you feel accomplished. <laughs> like, you know, like, it's a cool feeling. Like, it takes time. But when you get intimate with his word enough to where you can say it and you can use it as, as like, proof for your decisions. When someone says, why don't you do this? Well, because the Bible says this. Or why are you going here because the Bible says that? This is what God tells me to do. This is how God tells me to live my life. This is how I'm going to fall more madly in love with God. This is how I'm going to get to know the heart of my creator. To be able to know and trust him more, you've got to get to know him better. And that's what he wants for us, right? That that's what no <clears throat> bridegroom doesn't want to know. Like, we don't do arranged marriages anymore. You don't, like, walk down the aisle and not know who you're marrying. Like, that's not God's desire. God wants you to know exactly who he is. And God wants to know you better. So pursuing after his heart and the relationship with him is going to teach you that. It's going to teach you all about who God is and how he has the best in mind for you. He has nothing but the best for us. And he is just like, like that song, Pastor Andrew sings, you're better than I thought you were. God is better every single time than we think he is. And it's worth it. It is worth waiting for what God has for you. Whatever that means, whatever that timing is, if it's longer or shorter than you thought, if it's not now, if it's later, I don't, wherever you're at tonight, God is worth waiting on God's timing. He is worth everything. And it's easier, sure, it's easier to say it when you're on the other side. But when you declare it in the season that you're in and you believe it and you know it, it changes everything about your circumstances because you say, God, I know that you are worth it. I will wait for the right job. I will wait for the right person. I will wait for the right opportunity, for the right missionship, whatever it is. Because God's timing is worth waiting for. Because he loves us more intimately than any of us will ever even come to realize. And I just when I think I'm starting to grasp, I'm like, okay, God, I got it. You love me. And he does something else, and I get wrecked again. And I'm like, okay, you love me more than yesterday. Like, I really yeah. realized. There's always a fresh revelation of his love. Yeah. There's always more. There's always more. And I think that that's a phrase we might use a lot. There's always more, but there really is always more. Yeah. Just when you've tapped the surface, there's another surface you haven't tapped yet. And then there's another one, and then there's another one. It's like in Shrek, he's an onion. You peel back more layers. There's just more of God. There's always more to discover. You're never going to get to the center of the onion with God. Okay. All right. All right, guys. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Crux Podcast Sermon of the Week. Be sure to visit summitsandmarcos.com for other exciting content from Summit.
Crying thirsty land You give up your mercy